Mark chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and flip there, uh, please start heading that way. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles provided in the seats here. And if you don't have one of your very own at home, you can take that one home and break it in. We'd be glad for you to have that in Mark chapter 2. While you're turning there, uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to pray for uh, the BCYF uh, this week, Boston Center for Youth and Family here. Uh, one of our guys, Sam, and I were there this summer, and uh, Tom was showing us some other stuff that he's really excited about and what they have in the works. And he wanted to show us a recording studio that they have down in the basement there, some really cool stuff going on there. And uh, he was just sharing a dream, uh, asking maybe if there was anything that we could do to help out. But he has a dream uh, to give uh, urban youth an outlet to use their, their music and to share their music by recording it down in the, the basement there. And so uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to Jeremy's hip-hop album coming out in... Uh, in the winter. Uh, <laughs> yours, right? When's that coming out? All right, maybe not. So I'm looking forward to uh, potentially partnering with uh, those guys. And if you have any interest, I would really encourage you to, to do that. At the very least, send them a letter or a card and just say thank you for all you do. Know that we're praying for you. And uh, that would be great. So Mark chapter 2 is uh, where we're going to be uh, this morning. Last week, again, we introduced our new teaching series, Good for the City. Uh, God's heart for the city and is really our heart for the city. We want the welfare uh, of the city, or the word in the original language is, is shalom uh, for the city uh, where God has sent us. And you've all been sent to this city, whether you realize it or not. You're here on purpose by God, whether it's for a lifetime, as I know I am, or uh, maybe for a season. And while you're here, God's desire, Jeremiah 29, 7, is that you would seek the shalom, the peace, the prosperity, human flourishing, uh, for the city, but to be very careful that we don't do that apart from Christ, and apart from us having that shalom within our own hearts, that peace with the Lord, trusting in, in the Lord. And so last week, we saw the command. This week, what I want to do is I want to see the example. I want to see it lived out in Jesus. And so Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 1. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read it. It says, and when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Let me ask you, have you ever uh, been the new guy in town somewhere? Anybody? You've been the new guy in town, whether at your college or uh, in the town you're in now or, or maybe some other place you lived, you've been the new uh, kid on the block. Remember the new kids on the block? They're from Dorchester, actually. If you didn't know that, you should go. Apparently, there's a convenience store that is just decked out all new kids on the block because that was kind of their there, you know, Tedeschi Foods or whatever, I don't know. But anyhow, you got to check that place out. But maybe some of you have been the new kids on the block. Maybe you're the new kid on the block uh, right now. And so maybe you can relate a little bit. But when you're, when you're new to an area, you can't expect people to come running up to you and trying to get to know you. And so what you have to do is you have to seek out pursuing uh, meaningful relationships. You have to maybe get involved in a church like you are. You have to maybe get plugged into some kind of civic organization. Maybe you got to uh, meet parents at your kid's little league. You've got to go to the gym. You've got to go to the coffee shop. Go to parks and meet some people. Well, for Jesus here in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus is the new kid on, on the block. He's the new guy in town here in uh, Capernaum. Now, remember, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Then he was uh, raised in, in Nazareth, about 25 miles away uh, by foot from where we're at today here in Capernaum in Mark chapter uh, 2. So in Mark chapter 1, let me give you a little background. In chapter 1, Jesus calls his first four uh, disciples. They're in the, the, the fishing village of Capernaum, and he calls Peter and Andrew and James and, and John. And in Capernaum, uh, Jesus goes to Peter and Andrew's house, right? And 
he goes to their house and he heals uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law. And so what happens after he heals Peter's mother-in-law is, is word travels fast. This woman was dying, and Jesus, this guy Jesus of Nazareth, heals her. And so it says in the scriptures that, that by that evening, verse 33 of chapter 1 says, the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out demons. And so he heals Peter's mother-in-law. People start flocking. He starts healing them and casting out demons. And, and, and his teaching, it says they were astonished at his teaching and his miracles. And Jesus uh, very quickly became a big deal in, in this town of Capernaum. And then shortly thereafter, at the end of the chapter, what happens is, is Jesus uh, takes his four disciples uh, to minister in other towns throughout the larger region of Galilee, which brings us now to, to Mark chapter 2, verse 1, where we're at uh, this morning. And so let's read it one more time. All of this has taken place. He, he goes out with his four disciples to go do ministry in other towns. And then Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and when he returned... To Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So he, he starts out in Capernaum, he goes to other towns, and now he's returned where? He's returned to Capernaum, and what does verse 1 refer to Capernaum as for Jesus? It was reported that he is where? He's at home. It says he's at home. Now, now I want to sit here for a minute. It's reported that Jesus is at home. Now, remember that 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, some of you have heard this before, says that for, for the Lord, uh, a thousand years is like one day. And so for him, his, even his just time on this earth was just it was like a blink. It's like one day. And, and, and yet, for Jesus, he decides to make Capernaum his home. Now, I want to think about this a little more. Where is he from? Is he from Capernaum? No. A lot of you are here for a little while, but you say, home is really Texas. Home is really Florida. Home is really North Carolina. Home is really New Jersey. Home is really New Hampshire. But here it's referred to Jesus is at home. But he's not from here. He's from Nazareth. Before that, he's not from Nazareth. He's, he's from the heights of the heaven with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in that perfect community in, in, in the Trinity. But he, according to Scripture, he descends to earth. He becomes God with us, Emmanuel. He dwells uh, among us with, with Mary and Joseph as his earthly parents. And he's here willingly. It was his will. Some of us were forced to move places, maybe because of economic reasons, maybe because of a, a job transfer or just some other family situation. You were forced to move somewhere. You don't want to be there. But for Jesus, it was his will to come and to live on earth. And so that what this does is this really tells us a little bit about the nature of the ministry of Jesus, that in one sense, Jesus comes to earth from the heights of the heaven, and he comes to earth and becomes our neighbor so that he could rub shoulders with us and, and teach us and call us to follow him and then so that ultimately that he could die for us and then experience death that he didn't deserve and then resurrect to life victorious over death because death has no hold on Jesus. And so let me say that again. God has become our neighbor. Now I didn't say that he 
became just our neighbor. He, he was much more than our neighbor. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's our Lord. But in order to make it possible for him to save us, to redeem us, to restore us to right relationship with him, he comes to earth and becomes our neighbor for a little while. From the, the throne of glory to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Capernaum, so that he might rescue us. And so grateful to God for that humility that he would do that. But yet for him, a thousand years is like a day. It just flies by. But even though he's just here for a passing moment on this earth, it says in uh, verse 1 here that, that this place, Capernaum, becomes his home. And so the question, I guess, for all of us, for starters here, is will we make a home in a foreign land? Are we going to make a home in a foreign land? Let me read Jeremiah or, or, or John chapter 17, if I can. In, in verses 14 through 19, here's, here's what Jesus says. John 17, 14 through 19. This is what's known as his high priestly prayer. And, and listen to what he prays uh, shortly before going to the cross. He says, I have given them, he's talking about us, his disciples, your word. And, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. This world is not his home. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, he's praying this to God, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so he says, Christians, my disciples are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. And so just as he was sent into this world, likewise, we are sent into this world, and we are to be not of this world. Often in, in, in the gospel accounts, he says, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me. And then he says, even so, I am sending you. And so you are here, sent of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are here, sent of God in the world. First Peter chapter 2 will tell us that we are sojourners. And, and exiles. And so some people may have heard last week's message from Jeremiah 29 and said, well, that's more just a historical account. Maybe, maybe it's a stretch. No, it's not a stretch because it's repeated in the New Testament that we are, 1 Peter 2, 11, we are sojourners. We are exiles. We are here uh, temporarily. Other translations will say that we are, we are aliens. We're not of this world. It's where you get those cheesy Christian t-shirts of the 90s with like aliens on them. And you say, I follow Jesus. I'm an alien. I hate Christian t-shirts. The Lord's gym, all that good stuff. Listen, here's the thing. In, In one sense, Christians are to see themselves as aliens, sojourners, exiles, that we are are passing through, that this is not our our final destination. However, uh, for the time that he has us here in this place, wherever you're at right now, for a lifetime or a season, understand that he has sent you here. You are here on purpose. And so here's what I want us to, to be mindful of. Here's what I want us to, to, to catch this morning. That, that we have to be very careful uh, to, to not let our eternal destination keep us disengaged from our present location. Say that again. Don't let your eternal destination keep you disengaged from your, your, your present location. You've seen this? You've seen this before? In Christians, some of you have seen this, and even non-Christians, it's like, hey, I'm only going to be here for a few years of college. I really don't like this city. This is not my thing. And so I'm just going to kind of not emotionally engage. I'm not going to connect. I'm just going to kind of stay 
closed in on myself because I'm not here for long. I'm just passing. This is what, this is what uh, romance movies are made of, right? On the flip side. If you will unpack a little bit, like the boy comes into town uh, unwillingly from the urban context, and he comes into the suburban, rural context, and he doesn't want to be here, but he meets this cute girl, and he's like, I'm going to be gone in two months, and so do I, do I connect with her and potentially break her heart because I know I'm not going to, right? This is like every Lifetime movie, you know? This is Nicholas Sparks all over, right? Like the, the woman falls in love with the man who's dying of cancer. Should I fall in love with him and let my heart go there because I know he's going to be gone? Every Lifetime movie. Uh, this is what they are. I mean, I feel like I could just, you know, I could tell you the, the outline of a Nicholas Sparks movie. And uh, this is what it is. So, so what do you do? Do you, do you miss out on the love to avoid the pain? This is, this is classic girl. This is probably what you'll be talking about at your women's retreat. And so go do that. This is girl talk here. But as, as a Christian, what are you going to do? Do you say, well, this is not my eternal destination So I'll just not unpack here. I just won't engage in this this present location. Listen, I believe with all of my heart that it is a sin for you to become a Christian separatist. A Christian uh, separatist. It's what we call a sin of omission. It's not the big hairy sins of you're doing crazy things and living uh, promiscuously. This is one of those sins of the sin of of not doing what he's called you to do. And We've been called to live in this world and to engage this world. He has sent us as the Father has sent him. He has sent us. And so don't be a, a, a Christian separatist. And again, many Christians will live like, you know what, this is not my final destination. And so I'm not really going to invest here. I'm just going to focus just me and the Lord. And you focus on you and the Lord. But if you're really growing in your walk with the Lord, what's going to happen is you can't help but engage. You can't help but uh, share and so be very, 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 very careful here. Now, I also want to say this, that I understand full and well that many Christians live like this is it, like this is their final destination. And so they end up looking just like everyone else. And we have to be very careful. That's why Jesus says, John 17, that they are not of this world as he is not of this world. We're to be different. We're to be marked by holiness. We are to be, catch this, we are to be distinct, but we're not to be disengaged really believe that it's a sin for us to be disengaged. You are not of the world, but you have been sent into the world. And so don't pull away. Rather, uh, the call is to engage, to emotionally unpack your bags a little bit, stay a while, uh, and, and engage with your neighbors, to engage with your community, to engage with your coworkers, with your classmates, uh, with family in the area. You are to engage. So are you engaging? Wherever you're at right now, maybe it's school, maybe it's a, a career, maybe it's for you it's just a stepping stone. You don't think you're going to be, wherever you're at, are you engaging as the Lord would have you uh, to engage? Every one of us are missionaries. We have to understand that. Every one of us are missionaries. And, and so we're to live in our community and make a home in our community. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When he returned to Capernaum, it was reported that he was at home. He made Peter's mother-in-law's place. He made it his home, his base of, of, of ministry for a season. And so for the rest of our time together, what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus doing this. I want to look at how Jesus uses his home as a, a base of, of ministry, even though it's a temporary home. How, how does he 
do this. And, and we'll see that he, he really employs two methods on a broad sense. Now, we could go very specific and look at all kinds of other methods. But on a broad sense, there's two methods that he employs. The first in verses 1 through 12, and the second in verses 13 through 17. And so let's read again verse 1, and then we'll read 2 uh, through 12 of Mark chapter 2. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is good stuff here, and we could go much deeper than where we want to go tonight, but I want to show you how Jesus goes about impacting his, his temporary home. And the language we, we use here at our church is we use the language of light. Uh, many people use other kinds of language uh, to describe what Jesus is doing. We use the language of light because that's a, a common illustration that Jesus himself gives. In Matthew chapter five fourteen. he says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill, cannot be hidden. So we want to use the language of, of light here. And so the first way to impact your temporary home is this, illuminational living. Illuminational living. Now, as a pastor and a preacher, I have the freedom to make up words every now and again. And so I don't know if illuminational counts, but uh, it's, it's a word now, okay? So put it in there. Urban Dictionary. Illuminational living. Uh, my own home, my old home in uh, central Massachusetts, I told you guys the story last week, uh, my neighbor uh, saw it fit to de- decrease the value of my home by uh, tacking up his yard. You know, so Christmas he had uh, like 20, no exaggeration, 20 snow globes, you know, the inflatable ones in his front lawn that all chimed different songs. And so it just sounded like a horror show. I mean, it was really horrifying. And in the summer, one of the things he did is, uh, you know, bugs are out in the summer. And so he, he got a bug zapper, right? And for, for whatever reason... Uh, I guess he didn't want the bug zapper near his home, and, and we're friends, and so there's nothing against him. But he took the bug zapper and saw it appropriate to climb a ladder, hang a nail on a tree at our property line, and put the bug zapper right there, and then run an extension cord all the way to his house. I don't know if he was setting up a barricade so as the bugs come in, they don't get into his yard, but it was right at our property line so that when I would go to bed at night and leave our windows open in the summer, he never turned it off. Never turn it off. So all night long, you just, you're lulled to sleep by. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. And there's something about, you know, you're drawn to the light. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here, right? That, that, that people are drawn to the light. That you are the light of the, the world. 
And so illuminational living means you, you live in such a way that you are lighting up uh, the various areas of, of society that you're in. As we said last week, that you, are, you are, are, are shining and you are really impacting and bringing peace and hope and prosperity and joy to the places that you go. And so people are, are drawn to that light. I, I drive my kids to school most mornings and on the way to school, I, I'm always praying for them. And we have this one light that once we get to this, this light, at this intersection, that's when we start to pray for the day at school. And so uh, at that intersection, we always pray, Lord, I just pray that these guys would be lights in their school, that they would live for Jesus in their school. And so we're called to be lights. We're called to light up uh, the places where God has, has put us so that people are drawn, not so that they're drawn and there's that, but that they're drawn to the light and they get to know uh, the Jesus that we love. Now, I want to be very careful here as I talk about this kind of this attractional element of our faith that we light up and people are drawn to that. I want to be very, very careful here that, that we're, not, we're not saying that we are called to be people pleasers. If any of you have ever uh, lived out 1 Peter 3.15, it says, uh, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give a, a, a witness to, to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. If anybody's ever done that, like people have said, what's up with the hope that you have? They're drawn to you and you share, here's the reason for the hope that I have, it's Jesus. Anybody ever done that? What often can happen is suddenly people don't like you anymore. And so uh, what we're not saying is, hey, go be people pleasers in the world. Just make everybody happy because you can't make everybody happy. For some people, Jesus, Scripture says, is our cornerstone. For others, he's what? He's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, right? And so he will offend some people, but we are to be attractional or illuminational in, our, in our, our ministry and how we live our lives, that we don't want to cause offense if we don't have to. We let Jesus cause the offense when people's hearts are hardened uh, to him. And so here we have Jesus. He's in his new home, uh, likely the house of Peter here in Capernaum. Um, and we have uh, this scene here. Um, crowds are gathering there's likely no room at the door. They're just, they're just, it's a packed house because word is getting out about this great teacher, about this great healer. The fire marshal is ticked off. I mean, they're breaking the code there. It's, it's crazy. People are drawn to Jesus. They're, they're amazed at him. And when he talks, they, they listen. Now, for you, I want you to think about your own sphere of influence. Literally picture it right now. Where is your sphere of influence? Where are the places that you go that people listen, the places that you have conversations? Think about that. For me, it's, it's my neighbors, building great relationships with my neighbors. For me, some coffee shops I hang out at. For, for me, it's parents at my son's school, uh, family members uh, in, in the New England area. Uh, it, could be, it could be online, uh, maybe a blog you have. It could be your Facebook. I mean, you have spheres of influence. You have employees that you, you work with, civic organizations like the ones we're featuring that maybe you volunteer with. Now, we're, we're, we're not necessarily performing miracles, but we're seeking, and I'm seeking to live an exemplary life. I'm seeking to illuminate, to shine up the place uh, that God has, has put me, to, to bring about, usher in shalom uh, in, in the community, be marked by service, be marked by genuinely being interested in people, being marked by my generosity, being marked by humility. People are, are drawn to this, right? And people, for Jesus, they were, they were drawn to these amazing things that, that he was doing. And what I want to do now is I just want, can I just take a brief intermission 
a brief intermission from this, this methodology here of illuminational living. And I want to talk, though, to, to those in this room who maybe you find yourself on the other side. Like, you're not one to, to live uh, a life of illumination for Jesus because you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily have a relationship with Jesus. And, and what you'll notice is uh, in this, this first 12 verses here uh, with Jesus, you have two types of people. You have the crowds, and there's a lot of crowds coming to him, and you have the, the committed, right? A lot of people are there. It's a packed house. People want to see what's going on. Who is this Jesus guy? What's he saying? I'm, this is cool. They're attracted to that. Those are the, the crowds, but then there are the committed. And what do the committed do? Look at the committed here in, in, in chapter 2. The committed, they, they do more than just want to hang out around Jesus, show up to church. What the committed do is that they actually exercise faith in Jesus. They actually put, put wheels upon what they see. They, they act on what they see. And so here we have these four men who, they say, this is amazing. We've got to get to Jesus. And we so believe, we so believe that he can bring healing to this paralytic that we have to do something. We've got to get there. We have to get to him. And so they go up on the roof because they can't press through the, the crowds. And, and the, those Palestinian homes, even so today, they had stairs on the outside uh, going up to the roof. And so they, they get up there. And when they get up there, what do they start doing? They start digging through the roof. They start going through the roof that was made of like a composite of grass and clay and tile. And, and they start digging through that, that roof. And you can imagine Peter is, you know, here's Jesus, big deal in, in their, their town. And Peter's looking, oh man, homeowner's insurance. That's going to be a hefty one. And so they start digging through the, the, the roof here because they, they couldn't get to him. And, uh, and it, it's an amazing thing. They, 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 they put wheels on their belief. We so, we're not just interested in Jesus. We believe. And we want to exercise faith in him. And, and I want you to notice that, that as you read throughout the scriptures, faith is tied to action. You've got to know that faith is tied to action. That, that faith, true faith, true trust in the Lord leads to action. For these men, it was, we have faith in Jesus. We've got to dig to get closer to him and to, to have him, him heal our friend here. For, for the hemorrhaging woman, faith in Jesus, i got to touch him, right? For uh, the, the rich young ruler, Jesus says to him, listen, you might like me, you might like my teaching, but listen, you got to put wheels on your faith, and, and, and you've got to, uh, to leave your stuff. You've got to bail on that stuff. Otherwise, you've really never exercised uh, true faith. And so understand that action doesn't save you, but true faith leads to, to action. True faith has resulting Actions And so if you've placed faith in Jesus to, to save you, but no life change has really followed, and time will tell. I'm not going to call that out on a person who's you know, two months in the Lord. But in time, life change uh, should, should, should follow, right? And so we have the, the, the crowd here gathered around staring at Jesus. Of course people are staring. It's very, very intriguing. A year ago, I was, uh, I was thinking back. I was heading to Cambridge to go do something. And I'm on my way up to Cambridge um, in, in the, the Brighton area, I remember the, I seeing this, this car accident. And now, of course, you, you've been to the scene of a car accident before. You've probably passed by one. This car was kind of up on the bank, and no, no uh, cars like police officers or fire trucks or ambulances or anything was there. There were two types of people, right? There were the people who got out and did something, and there were the people who gawked at it, right, and stared at it, kind of weirdly entertained by it. And then there were the people who were frustrated, Boston drivers, you know, honking their horns and screaming out their windows and frustrated uh, by it. And Jesus had these people too, right? He had the crowds, people who were 
interested. He had these four who were going to do something about it. He even had the people who were ticked off by it, right? As you look throughout his ministry, he has uh, the, the Pharisees who were just completely ticked off by what he uh, was doing. So which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the, you the crowd or are you the committed? Are you, you like being around church because it's, it's fun? Because you have good relationships? Because it's socially appealing to you? Or are you, hey, I, I really believe this. I really trust in Jesus and I want to live for Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus and I want to put action or wheels to uh, my faith. And so that concludes our intermission, but I want to make sure we all get that. I want to make sure we all understand that just because you come to Jesus and, and stand around him and, and like him, it's a lot different than actually being a disciple. Understand that Satan himself, scriptures say, Satan himself and the demons themselves believe in Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. And so be very, very careful. Now, Christians, as we seek to live those illuminational lives, and as people are, Lord willing, uh, drawn to you in, in time, how are we to really uh, bring out the committed from among uh, the, the crowds? How, how do you bring out the, the committed, the, the disciples from among the crowd? As, as people are drawn to you, what you do like Jesus is you position yourself to where you are available to them. You position yourself so that you are uh, available to them. For Jesus, he put himself in a place where he could be seen, right? Where people could see him and, and know him and hear from him and learn of his teachings and be healed by him. People brought his needs to him and he ministered uh, to them. He provided opportunities for them to exercise faith. He's so often calling people uh, to faith. Some did, most didn't, right? Tons of people followed Jesus all the way into, uh, into Jerusalem, didn't they? But then at the very end, there were very, very few there after uh, the crucifixion because people like him, but not all of them were the committed. And so we have to position ourselves as Christians, as people are drawn to us, to, to let them know that we are available, to let them know that, listen, if you need any help, I'm here. Listen, uh, here's why I have the hope that I have. Here's the reason for the hope that I have. You have to position yourself to where you can actually have conversations with people. So that means you have to inconvenience yourself sometimes. That means that we, we have to intentionally clear our schedule so that we know that, hey, Thursday night is, is a night that I like to invite people to my house to have a dinner so that I can talk with them. We have to position ourselves, set up our lives in such a way that people don't just say, I like that, that's cool. But they actually can sit with you and hear um, what they need to do to be right with the Lord. If you don't, what happens is you've made it all about you and not about the Lord. Here's the thing. A lot of people like this teaching series of Good for the City. A lot of people like, that's great, let's do good for the city. That sounds awesome. But when it stops just at, let's do good things for the city, but let's leave Jesus out of that equation, it becomes about good. It becomes about, I like to do good. It's fun for me. It feels right. It feels good. But don't leave Jesus out of the equation. And so, we can't end at uh, uh, just illuminational living. We have to live uh, illuminational lives. But here's the other thing we have to do. We have to, we have to uh, go to them because they're not always going to come to us, are they? There's plenty of people out there that don't come to us and we have to go to them. And so what I want to call this now is penetrational living. There's illuminational living, 
and another word I made up, penetrational uh, living. And so if illuminational living, Matthew chapter 5, is the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden because it's a city that's bright and upon a hill and people see that and weary travelers see that and they say, I've got to get there, I've got to be a part of that, I want to get in there. That, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. That's, that's illuminational living, but not everybody's going to get in range that they can see it. And so there's penetrational living. And, and so versus uh, a, a lamp on a stand, penetrational living would be more like a flashlight, like uh, a search and rescue mission. We're going to go and we're going we're gonna to find and we're going to help and we're going to bring about uh, peace and hope and prosperity in the Lord. And so now let's, let's see Jesus doing that. We've seen illuminational. Let's see penetrational. Look at verses 13 through 17. 13 through 17, Mark chapter 2. It says this. It says, And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the the sinners." And so verse 1 says what? It says he goes out by the sea. So they've come to him, but now he's got to go out to them. Penetrational. The crowds were coming, illuminational. Now he's going to go and, and penetrate because there are those who aren't coming to him. And one who didn't come was this guy named Levi, right? This guy named Levi doesn't come to him, uh, surnamed Matthew. And so we'll call him Matthew for the rest of our time because that's who he's most commonly known as in, in the scripture. He wasn't one of the crowd. He didn't come to Jesus. Uh, he was in his uh, tax booth, wasn't he? And Jesus doesn't say, well, his loss. He didn't come to me. He didn't want it. I was, Let him be. He doesn't want it. Wipe my hands clean to him. No, he didn't do that, did he? he? He goes to him. And as a result, what does Matthew do? As a result of Jesus going to him, Matthew got up and he, he followed Jesus. And so there it is again. There's his faith. He doesn't say, thanks for coming to me, Jesus. See you later. That's awesome. Cool. I'll take that. He says, done with this. I'm done with this sinful living. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. And his sinful living was, uh, your, your tax was, uh, at the end of the year, your tax was, you, you owed $535. And so he'd say, uh, looks here like you owe $600. Right? And he'd keep the extra money. They were thieves. Everybody knew it. They were thieves. And so that was, that was Matthew. He says, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm following Jesus. I'm going after Jesus. And so there's his faith proved by, by action. Listen, we have to be very aware that there are a lot of people that aren't just going to come to us. A lot of people that aren't just going to come to us. They're not going to say, That's, I like what they're doing in the community, therefore I'll go. What we have to do is we have to keep going to them. We've got to bring uh, the message of, of Jesus to uh, them. For various reasons, people aren't going to come to us. Some people aren't going to come to us because they're hurt by the church. I will never have anything to do with the church. It doesn't matter how how amazing what's happening in here is. They're just not going to come here. So we have to go to them. There are people who are just uh, cultural differences. Like, it's not even remotely on the radar screen. So we have to go to them. There are people that their, their pain in their heart prevents them from coming. They just feel so hurt and so that 
the church, Jesus, God has nothing on, he can't touch this. We have to go to them. There are people who just feel like, I could never go. It doesn't matter. They're, they're not drawn per se, and so we have to go to them. As we said last week, we have to be agents of peace, agents of shalom, and bring the shalom that we have in our hearts to them and to light up their area. And so we have to go uh, penetrationally in, into their area, bring shalom on, on wheels, right? And it, and it may be strange to you uh, that as uh, Jesus uh, goes up to Matthew and says, follow me, that Matthew's just like, sweet, I'm, I'm there, right? But listen, you have to understand that for, for Matthew, it would have been an unbelievable honor. He understood who Jesus was. He, he, he had heard, I mean, a big deal in the town. He, he's caught word, and, and, and people are paying their taxes at his booth, and they're saying, have you heard? Have you heard about this guy, Jesus? And he says, yeah, I've heard. Everybody's going to him, right? Put yourself in that place. Everybody's going to Jesus. But next thing you know, you're doing your thing, catching word about Jesus. Next thing you know, he's there to talk to you. And so when Jesus calls him to faith, he, he comes and he follows and he says, I, I, I want to pursue a new calling. And this happened not because he showed up at church, but this happened because church showed up to him. Jesus showed up to his tax booth. And, and maybe for you, you, you've got to be very intentional about this kind of stuff. Maybe there are places that you just don't typically hang out, but you need to strategically hang out in those places. Maybe for you, it's, it's a park with kids, with your kids. Uh, maybe for you, it's uh, going up to the complex that we serve uh, often with. Uh, maybe for you, it's, this is crazy one, get to know your neighbors. <laughs> Talk to your neighbors. I've made this observation before that I heard from another person, but uh, culturally speaking, over the the past 40, 50 years, this cultural phenomenon has taken place that where once houses had front porches, they now have what? Back porches and fences so they don't have to talk to their neighbors, right? And so we need to talk to our neighbors. You should know your neighbors. You should be able to care for them. They should be able to know that, that you're available to them and, and that they can come and, and, and talk to you. And you should uh, make the point, even if they're uh, maybe a little awkward in the moment of trying to get to know you, Keep trying to get to know them. Keep pressing. Uh, penetrate, right? And we need, to, we need to do that. We need to do that. We need to penetrate as Jesus penetrates. Uh, we need to seek to, to grow our sphere of influence. I want to give everybody in this room, and I, I often challenge you to this, I want to make sure you understand that you are all missionaries. There's something really, really sexy about going to India, isn't it? For some reason. It's so cool. I'd love to do that. And I think you should. That's amazing. Amazing. But understand that there are more evangelical Christians per capita in India than in this city right now. Craziness. So you, as you leave these doors today, can see yourself as a missionary to Boston. And, and, and we, all, we all should. And we should all uh, really not live in this city as leeches in the city, that we just suck, 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 suck. But we should, should give to the city and serve the city. We're here for it, not it for for us. And so take a missions trip in your neighborhood and get to know your neighbors. Take a missions trip to the laundromat. Take a missions trip to the student center. Take a, a, a missions trip to uh, the park. We'll, we'll provide some things, some opportunities that you can plug in and, and do. But I want to really, really encourage you to, to seek to penetrate, penetrate darkness in, in, in those who are far from the Lord because we can't just expect them, especially in Boston, especially in New England, we can't just expect them uh, to come to us.
Now, uh, in verse 15, uh, we see Jesus and some of his followers uh, doing something really cool. Jesus has not only the opportunity because of his penetrational living to influence Matthew, but now it starts to trickle down, doesn't it? And he has the opportunity to, to influence uh, some of Matthew's friends and former uh, co-workers. And in, in verse 15, uh, if you want to look there, it says, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So now, what does Jesus have going on? He's met Matthew. Now he's got other co-workers, other tax collectors with Jesus and some of his disciples as, as well. So he's got both uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, and those who aren't necessarily followers of Jesus at, at this, this point together in, in a room. And what happens uh, because of this? Uh, the, 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 the Pharisees are angry, aren't they? They're those people who are honking on the way to Cambridge. Get out of my way. Get out of here. This is crazy, right? They're, they're upset, right, that, that he's doing this. And Jesus wasn't being a separatist, and that's what they wanted him to do, right? They said, Jesus, don't, don't hang out with them. Don't touch them. Come to church. Let those be your only friends. And that's how it should be. And Jesus says, that's not how it should be. You need to be able to think in your mind and identify people that are not Christians that you are loving and you are serving and you are caring for and you have a relationship with. There was a point in my life where I, I could sit back and say, oh, man, I don't think I have any non-Christian friends, except for maybe my cousin, my uncle, who I see on holidays. Does that really count? And so we should be very careful. And so one thing that we have done in our church, and we want to maybe revamp this up and re-encourage you to do this in this new season of ministry for us, is we want to encourage you to have what we call Matthew meals. And that is strategically eat with somebody else. That is strategically invite somebody to your house and have a meal with them. I, I, I would really recommend you adopting once a month, I want to have somebody to my house, to my apartment. I want to go out with somebody for coffee. Once a month, I'm going to make it a real point to do that. Can you imagine, can you imagine if we all did that? Once a month, we would invite them, love on them, and as God provides opportunities, share the love of Jesus with them and the truth of Jesus with them. A Matthew meal. It may be uncomfortable for you, and so you don't do it alone. Much like, Jesus had going on here was Jesus and Matthew and other tax collectors and other disciples, it says. And so get some other people in the church to come along. Maybe you're ministering to your neighbor and your neighbor is a musician and you don't know anything about music and you're thinking, I can invite this friend who I know who's a believer who's really gifted in music and we connect well. Let's get together. Let's get together. It would be a really, uh, really cool thing for us to do to adopt Matthew uh, meals, and that we would be crazy, crazy penetrational. They won't come to us. We'll go to them, and we'll uh, really try to connect with them on a very intentional uh, level. And so it may be football games. You're inviting strategic people over and having wings with them. Everybody wants to watch the game, right? Maybe it's uh, uh, you've got to get creative and have some kind of party. I don't know what girls do. Scrapbooking, I don't know. Have a party, right? Invite some friends over. That was so last year. I don't know. Coffee, dessert, but be very, very intentional and be uh, penetrational. Jesus said, listen, those who are well don't need a doctor. But those who are sick do, the, the sinful, they need a doctor. And so we, listen, we want to be very balanced in this as a church. 
I think God is doing a wonderful thing among us in terms of the community that we have. I don't think I've ever been a part of a church that is so community-minded within ourselves that we are really growing together. I also don't think I've ever been a part of a church that has been so community-minded in terms of let's get into the community. It's a beautiful thing. We have to do both, and we have to do both very, very well. And so be mindful, hang out with each other, build relationships with each other, keep doing that, but also keep doing it out there, uh, penetrational living. And so we, we get a powerful example from Jesus this morning that he willingly, it was his will to come to earth and to make a temporary home in a place that it's just a blink for him. It's just a day, a thousand years like a day. But he settled in and he made a home. And whatever this city is for you, that you would settle in like Christ and you would make a home, that you would unpack, you would stay a while. As Jeremiah 29 says, that you would build houses and you would live in them. You would plant gardens and you would be there long enough that you would see produce come. That you would marry, you would have children, and you would have your, your children to get married and see your children's children. Jeremiah 29, that you would make, make a home. That you would live uh, both illuminational lives and, and penetrational lives. That you would impact those that God is bringing to you because of your exemplary living. But you would also penetrate and look for opportunities for greater impact. For greater impact. And so I want to challenge you this morning in that. I want to challenge all of us in this room, one, to, to really, really consider your next steps to make an impact in this city where God, Jeremiah 29, has sent you. New Testament as well, has sent you as lights. What are you going to do? We have the connection cards here. Maybe there's some opportunities at the bottom there that you, you just want to get some information about. Maybe you want to be a part of Kids Connect, our, our ministry to children. Maybe you want to be a part of some community outreach things. You can let us know those things. But what, what are your next steps? Really identify those things. I want to encourage you in that. The other thing I want to encourage all of us in this room is this. Is, is I think we all need to do some deep soul searching and ask ourselves, are we the crowd or are we the committed? Do we just like hanging around Jesus, but we're really not committed to Jesus? We're really not exercising faith in Jesus? He calls us to exercise faith in him, to completely trust your life and your eternity in him, that you would turn from your sin and you would turn to him because he has done what we can't do. He has lived life on this earth perfectly, sinlessly, not deserving death, but willingly came here on a rescue mission, laid down his life on the cross, died, and resurrected to life because he is victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And he says, you place faith in me. You trust in what I have done that you can't do. And you follow me and you let me reign supreme as king of your life. That's the committed. That's the disciple of Jesus. If that's not you, would you come to him and exercise faith in him? Trust in him. And all you have to do is in the best way that you know how, call out to him and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to turn from being the master of my own life, the Lord of my own life. And I want to humbly Submit my life to you and trust in you. I have the intention to follow you all the days of my life with your guidance, your help. So I would call you to that this morning if you haven't done that already. And so we're going to take a moment to pray. If you guys want to close your eyes, let's just take a moment to pray. And as we pray, I think we all have something to talk to God about. Some of us, we need to talk to God about I want to become a disciple. I want to follow you. I want to be the committed. I want to trust in you 
and be made right with God. Become a Christian. Others of us, maybe we need to pray to him and say, Father, help me. Help me to be a light in this place where you have sent me for this time, for this season, maybe for this life. Help me, Father. Give you a second to pray and then I'll pray. Father, I give my friends in this room to you. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have something of substance to talk about this morning. And God, I thank you for your example as well. You have revealed yourself to us in word and in your life, your personal work of Jesus. And God, I pray for those in this room who don't know Jesus. They know of Jesus. They like Jesus. Maybe they don't know Jesus. I pray that they would enter into that relationship by faith. Commit them to you. May they be so bold as to tell somebody what you've done in their heart this morning. And God, I pray for those in this room who are here in this city because you've sent them. God, I pray that they would be very careful not to let this time pass by without really being used to the fullest of your attention for them in this city. So God, give them minds of intentionality. Give them compassion, the eyes of Jesus for the places where you've put them. Give them words and boldness to, to, to speak the truth and love and gentleness and respect as people seek out the reason for the hope that they have. And God, I pray that we really would lock arms and do that. And we would see shalom. We would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That we would see that, that city that we read of in Revelation, we would see it here on earth in a sense. Do your work, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.